Welcome to Major Figures in Spanish Culture, a podcast produced by Fundación Juan Marc. In each episode, we invite renowned experts to sit down and share stories about some of Spain's most distinguished figures who have greatly influenced and contributed to the advancement and richness of Spanish culture. Salvador Dali was one of the most prolific and rebellious artists of the 20th century. He was renowned for his flamboyant personality and bold nature, going way beyond the limits of traditional art. By tapping into the depths of his unconsciousness, Dali's aim was to recreate his dreams and hallucinations in the most tantalizing way. Here to tell us more about the master of surrealism is Estrella de Diego, professor of art history at the Universidad Complutense de Madrid. Entering Salvador Dali's Teatro Museum Figueres near Girona, in the northwest of Spain, the visitor's impression is strong and distinct. Dali's essence is a love of the place, just like an old vice or a never-negotiated remorse. In fact, this prodigious building is not only Dali's museum, it is also his mausoleum. If, as Adorno wrote, the two words have not only etymology in common, in the case of the Teatro Museo, the implications are much more than linguistic. Dali is literary buried there. Yet, the Teatro Museum is not only Dali's final home, it is the most eloquent part of Dali's artistic project. Together with the Pobol Castle, Gala's private home, which Dali could only visit after a formal written invitation from his wife, the Teatro Museo in Figueres is a stage setting in which his famous oil paintings are just a simple fragment of Dali's intense missing scene, both as artist and character. The Teatro Museo is an amazing large-scale piece, part of that passion for surrealist objects that Gala and Dali cultivated throughout the years. In fact, one could argue that Dali conceived the design of the Teatro Museo as a collage, fragments of space and time which became intermingled with Dali's life and masquerade. One could even say that this museum mausoleum shows his passion for collecting, recycling and reinventing, the very passion the Catalan artist shared with Breton's entire group, and more precisely with his wife Gala, former wife of poet Paul Eluard. Gala was indeed much more than a muse for Dali. She was Dali, partner in crime, so to speak, an essential part of the rich creative process they revealed, as Dali emphasized in a handwritten text preserved at the Fundación Gala Salvador Dali's archives. In this document, which was written in Dali's calligraphy and is characteristically per French, Dali narrates the story of Bubble Castle the courtly gift he offered his wife Gala. The story is told with a novelist's wealth of detail so typical of his prose. After my surrealist period, I signed my best canvases. Gala Salvador Dali. There is no need to be Sartre to state that the name is the person, but one must be Dali to state that the superperson, the Nietzschean superman and the Dalinian superwoman are their own castle. But let us start the story from the very beginning, in the year 1904, 
more precisely on May the 11th, 1904, when Dali was born in Figueres, the son of a typical bourgeois family in the early years of 20th century Spain. His father was a notary, and he probably expected Dali to be anything but an artist, although the young boy seemed immediately fascinated with the collection of the Pichot's family during a summer visit to their country home. At the house near Figueres, Dali discovered Impressionism, in other words, contemporary gaze. In 1919, he participated in his first solo show and made a crucial decision. He would become an artist. In any case, his father was also quite clear about his son's future. If he wanted to become an artist, he would have to move to Madrid and study at the San Fernando Royal Academy of Arts, the place where one could become a professional painter in Spain during those years. That could enable him to become an art teacher, in his father's bourgeois mentality, a respectable way to make a living. Shortly after his arrival and due to the protest at the Royal Academy against an older traditional painter, Dali was expelled from the art school. He would return soon after. But a much more exciting destiny was awaiting for Dali in Madrid. During those years, the capital of Spain was a vibrant artistic and creative center due to the Residencia de Estudiantes. The Residencia de Estudiantes, literary students' residence, was created to provide lodging for students in town, following the Oxford and Cambridge example. In any case, the final result of this experiment was a cultural institution that fostered some of the most brilliant writers, intellectuals and artists from all over the country during the 1920s. Besides, relevant thinkers at the peak of their career, from Marie Curie to Albert Einstein or the Egyptologist Howard Tata, to name a few, who visited Madrid during those days, lectured at the Residencia. Unfortunately, the civil war and later autarky in Spain closed down this rich international experiment and with it most modern space in Spain. A number of excellent Spanish youngsters would meet there. The Residencia was a home for filmmakers like Luis Buñuel, poet Federico García Lorca and Dali himself. Soon the group became inseparable. Close to them was also painter Maruja Mayo, whose hilarious and radical stories about those days of ultimate modernity gave us a hint about the revolutionary attitude they all had against conservative positions in life. At the time, young Dali was painting Sudokubis still lives. One of them is shown in a very famous picture taken of García Lorca in his room at the Residencia. And by the mid-twenties, Dali's career was progressing very fast. He participated in various shows in Madrid and Barcelona. He also visited Paris for the first time. A family trip with his aunt and sister, Anna Maria, his recurring model before meeting Gala. Slowly but surely, Dali was becoming the extraordinary surrealist painter which history would acclaim shortly after. He developed an intense, passionate friendship with García Lorca and would continue writing on a regular basis contributing to the vanguardist journal L'Amique de les Arts. There he published his amazing article San Sebastian, devoted to García Lorca and their tempestuous relationship. One tends to forget Dali was not only a superb painter, but also a talented writer, as proven by many texts. Among them, The Secret Life, his fake real autobiography published in the early 1940s and to which I will return later. 
1929, he traveled to Paris for the second time. What had been a mere surrealist intuition in a Spain which was eager for modernity, but still very provincial, became an inspirational reality in the French capital. There, Toujours Miro, Dali met André Breton, the head of the group and director, together with Buñuel, Un Chant a film considered the masterpiece of surrealist cinema. Indeed, Sigmund Freud and his theories were essential for the filmic production. In 1938, Dali even visited Dr. Freud in London, but their encounter was a total fiasco. Dali was expecting Freud to be fascinated by him, but that was not the case. Dr. Freud was not impressed by the young, enthusiastic and slightly arrogant artist, as he wrote in a letter to his friend Stefan Zweig. In any case, dreams, androgyny, the unconscious, the superego, ego and need, transgression and so forth, are often visually present in Dallas and Buñuel's work. One could even stress how those persistent quotes from psychoanalysis, clearly related to surrealism itself, would always be present in Dali's painting, sculptures and filmic collaborations. He even invented the paranoia critical method, a creative process which imitates paranoiac state and aims to disintegrate the self as a unitary entity. That is the basic idea underlying Dali's autobiography mentioned above. That could be the reason why questions regarding the secret life of Salvador Dali as an autobiographical project immediately spring to mind. And not only because, as argued by numerous authors, from Paul de Man to Roland Barthes, it is impossible to ascertain the truth in any autobiographical project since the subject is split into characters who have never shared time or space. To begin with, Dali's book is an interplay of fictions in the forms of deliberately fake memories. The author of the text, Dali decided, would renounce his past and be reborn anew without traumas through a method that reproduced techniques of psychoanalysis and included the return to preconscious state, intrauterine memories, Dali called them. One could even say that secret life imitates the structure of a session of psychoanalytical therapy, which lips of the tongue included. The book Confessional Tone may corroborate this. It is also an attempt to kill the father in psychoanalytical terms, or in other words, to free oneself from authority. Besides, his father has disowned him after learning from a Barcelona newspaper his son had gravely insulted the family. The November 1929 exhibition at the gallery Camille Goman featured a lithograph of the sacred heart on which Dali had written. Sometimes I love to spit on my mother's portrait. This comment about his mother, she passed away in 1921, was received like a poisoned art at home. Dali refused to retract, so his father expelled him from the family circle. But Dali was not alone after the expulsion from the family. Gala, his wife, partner and co-author of the Dalinian creative project, as Dali wrote, was already in his life. The summer of 2099, a group of friends from Paris, the painter Magritte and his wife Georgette, the Alluards, Paul and Gala, and the Belgian Gomans, owner of an art gallery, decided to visit Cadaques and the young Spaniard they had met in Paris to the gallery owner who would exhibit his work. They were fascinated by his unusual aspect and manners. It looked like a true surrealist, and besides, he carried the charisma of old wild Spain. For this sophisticated group, Dali must have looked very exotic. 
At that time, Daly was an attractive young man of somewhat outlandish ways, who dazzled the bourgeois group when they reached that bizarre place on the shores of the Mediterranean. Not so long before, his intimate friend Federico García Lorca had adopted a somewhat distant stance from him. And despite the fact that everyone, even Dali himself, repeatedly claimed that he had been a virgin before he had met Gala, in that summer of 1929, he must have had experience in games of doubles and exchanges of identities, a game which would become essential to his own artistic performance. Federico García Lorca and Ana María and Salvador Dali had played these ambiguous games, even innocently, while their relationship lasted before Gala's arrival in Caracas. Eluard's wife observed Ali. He intrigued her. She was the only one who could bear his bouts of hysterical laughter and his eccentric behavior. The rest of the pleasant and highly bourgeois company was exasperated by Ali. Gala Eluard saw in his rather absurd character her own peculiar Naja, the irrational impossible inspiration for the creative task that lay ahead of her. After all, Gala was a brilliant writer, and her letters in memory show that Gala was the one who chose Dali, and not the other way round. Shortly after that encounter, they started a long-term relationship. They remained together until Gala's death in 1982. It was not only a love and fascination story. They were partners in business. There was no doubt that practical and perceptive Gala helped, and even ruled, Dali's international career. Yet, in retrospect, just by reading Dali's pages, it is clear that Gala was much more than a manager or model for Dali. She was his mirror. They were both part of a character that was a combination of Gala and Dali. Of course, that character would not paint the canvases, Dali did. But she, he, would devise the entire creative project, Gala Salvador Dali. In fact, Dali was not only an amazing painter, he was a uniquely talented character, a painter, a performer, writer, filmmaker, actor. In this amazing and slippery territory, there was a place of honor for Gala's inspired ideas. Together, they were unbeatable. If a relevant part of Dali's idea flourished due to his stays in the United States, one could not stress enough the importance Gala had in Dali's North American adventure. In the mid-1930s, Mr. and Mrs. Dali began spending longer periods in the United States. This enraged hotel in New York City would become a frequent destination for the couple. But then, Dali was an acclaimed surrealist painter, the most surrealist of surrealism. And surrealism was the most acclaimed avant-garde movement in the East Coast. Even though Breton had expelled Dali from the group in 1934, accusing him of having a spirit that was too conservative in political terms. Dali responded promptly to the expulsion with a very well-known sentence. De surrealisme c'est moi. Surrealism is me. The answer from the group did not take long, in particular from Breton. During one of his stays in New York, he was called Avido Dollars, the anagram of Salvador Dali. The word is that Breton was after the invention. By 1938, Dali had earned his fame as notorious ex-member of the group, though a recalcitrant surrealist around the world, always a rebel. 
He was invited to the Exposition Internationale de Surrealisme in Paris that very year, to which he contributed his famous environment, Rainy Taxi, exhibited at the entrance of the gallery. Dali was a star in the USA, but not only as a painter. He returned to his early passion for film. He met the Marx Brothers, and more importantly, His passion for cinema crystallized in a very well-known collaboration with Alfred Hitchcock in the film Spellbound, whose dreamlike sequences were created by the surrealist painter. To a certain extent, those settings were related to the scenography he had experimented with in The Dream of Venus, a pavilion presented in New York's World's Fair of 1939. That same year, Dali had his solo show at Julian Gallery in New York and created the libretto, costumes and sets for Bacchanale at the Metropolitan Opera House in the same city. Leonid Messin was in charge of choreography for the occasion. In the work Dream of Venus, Dali returned to his personal terrors, exemplified through lobsters, which become part of the model's anatomy right on the pelvic zone. Dr. Freud would again accompany the backstage of this missing scene, The use of lobsters in the installation for the pavilion at New York Fair would occupy a physical space charged with sexual connotations. Gala played an important role, but not as a model. In the 1939 pictures of the installation, Gala is shown as part of the team and of the decision-making process. Indeed, while in some of the snapshots she's been carrying out manual work, sewing, arranging drapes, or giving them form, in others she appears alongside Dali, observing, giving her opinion. This is how the true artist of modernity work. Looking at Eric Scholl's photographs, it becomes clear that by the end of the 1930s, Gala was more than a muse or a model. Nevertheless, She was the main character in late Dali's canvases, where she appears as a heroine or even like a virgin by Thurbaran in his famous crucifixion, painted in 1954 and held at the Metropolitan Museum. Maybe Gala was just performing her own autobiography, which Dali wrote in his canvases when painting Gala. In his late years, Dali turned to a kind of religious realism, in his canvases, although he kept his amazing skills as a painter. But he was, and had been, much more than a painter. Like Andy Warhol, before Andy Warhol, Dali was a multitask artist, a painter, a writer, a set designer, an actor, a performer, a publicist. Like an unexpected Leonardo, Dali was interested in science. He often lectured on Spanish and French television during the 1960s and 1970s, discussing issues that sounded like a surrealist invention then. Now we know that Dali was discussing an issue that would be more than popular 40 years later, DNA. After Gala's death in 1982 in Portigat, King Juan Carlos I appointed Dali Marquis of Pubol and he moved to Gala's castle. His museum at Figueres had been inaugurated eight years before her passing away, on September the 28th, 1974. Following a fire at Pubal Castle, Dali moved for good to Figueres, where he died on January the 23rd, 1989. He was buried there in his museum mausoleum, the most exquisite surrealist object of Gala Salvador Dali's production. Thank you for joining us on Major Figures in Spanish Culture. Next time, Juan Pablo Fusi 
Emeritus Professor of Contemporary History at the Universidad Complutense de Madrid, will be here to tell us about one of Spain's most influential philosophers and essayists, José Ortega y Gasset. See you then.